Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Broadcasting around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. It's all a great big Democratic hoax. That's what Donald Trump says of the Robert Mueller investigation. Yeah, I wonder what he's going to say when Robert Mueller uh, (laughs) indicts him for uh, maybe lying to the FBI or colluding with the Russians. What do you say? Hello, everybody, on a big Thursday. Thursday, January 11, 2018. Here we go. With all the news of the day, it's called The Bill Press Show, and you are part of it. Good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. As we have scotch around the globe, starting here in Washington, D.C., that's where you find us, our studio in Washington, D.C., Right here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building in the shadow of the dome, uh, as we say with the news from Washington, from around the country and around the globe. Our top stories today, yes, Robert, uh, Donald Trump in a bizarre kind of a mini news conference yesterday uh, saying that, uh, yes, the Robert Mueller investi- special counsel's investigation was just invented by Democrats. As an excuse for losing the election. Of course, he's been saying that for the last 12 months or more. Also indicating that he might not be willing to sit down with special counsel Robert Mueller. Certainly doesn't see any need for a meeting. Jared Kushner has a new job uh, at the White House. He's now in charge of prison reform. Maybe he wants to clean things up before he gets there. And Vermont becoming the ninth state soon to become the ninth state in the country to recognize the legalization of recreational use of marijuana. Yes, the Green Mountain State gets even greener. Lots to talk about, lots that you want to comment on, so get ready to send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, yes. A couple of other stories making news. My next guest needs no introduction. That is the name of the new talk show coming to Netflix tomorrow, being hosted by David Letterman. They have dragged him out of retirement, and his first guest will be former President Barack Obama. One of the things they leaked a clip out yesterday, they talked about how... It's a big get, as they say in the business. It's a big get. They leaked out a clip saying that um, he was asked about in the final days of the Barack Obama White House, how Prince performed at the White House. And Barack Obama talked about how his daughter made him dance. Prince 
asks Sasha to come up and dance, who, and she's an excellent dancer. Then Sasha pulls me up, which surprises me because she always mocks my dancing, but <laughs> I have dad moves. Yeah. And I, and I think the key is, is what we call staying in the pocket. Sure. <laughs> Right? Staying so in the pocket. you got to stay in the pocket. <laughs> because I think everybody here knows dads who get out of the pocket. And they're trying stuff that they can't really pull yeah. off. Yeah. And, you know, they start doing, like, karate kicks and all kinds of stuff. Really? And, and karate it, kicks. Is that one of the things you do? <laughs> so you'll be able to watch the whole show tomorrow on Netflix. He has a six-part series of interviews that he's done. By the way, I hope Barack Obama doesn't do what David Letterman did and grow a beard like that. That beard is out of control. Totally out of control. It's out of control. Yeah. I, David Letterman hasn't shaved since he left no, no, late no. night. Duck Dynasty. <laughs> he no. does look like yeah. Duck Dynasty. Right. Also, uh, Dolly Parton, who you know <laughs> I love. I love Dolly. Well, Dolly Parton has a series of big theater restaurants around the country. Mm. You go in, you sit down, you have a meal, and you watch a show. It's been called the Dixie Stampede for years and years and years. Well... Yesterday, she announced that they are changing the name. It's just called Dolly Parton's Stampede. They are dropping Dixie hmm. from Dixie Stampede. They cited, quote, changing attitudes towards the word Dixie and what it symbolizes and what it means. Good so, for her. Good for Dolly yeah. Parton. Yeah, I think nine it's a to five. Her her belting out nine to five is one of the best songs. Absolutely, ever, you know? man. Yeah, I'm yeah. a big Dolly Parton fan. <laughs> I, I uh, rented her on a plane one day. I just I was in awe. There she was in the flesh and blood. <laughs> I don't know what I would do if I Dolly saw her. Dolly Parton, person. man, <laughs> that's more exciting than seeing Bob Novak. <laughs>
Yeah, where do we start today? Big stories of the day. By the way, our lineup today, Kate Martell, who does a, a great uh, noon day, noontime uh, special report every day for the Hill newspaper, uh, will be here in studio with us, as well as Justin Sink, who covers the White House for Bloomberg News, and Dara Lind from Vox uh, on the whole uh, immigration issues. And that's one of the big stories of the day. Donald Trump yesterday again at this newser saying uh, he insists that a wall, his wall, the Donald Trump memorial wall, has to be part of any deal to help the, uh, the dreamers. Donald Trump saying yesterday if he's not sure there's any need for a meeting, an interview between him and special counsel Robert Mueller. Because the whole, he says, again, the whole thing is a hoax. Jared Kushner at the White House has now yet a new job. He's not only going to uh, bring peace to the Middle East, he is going to resolve all the problems with America's prison system and sentencing system and the state of Vermont making history when it comes to recreational marijuana. Yep, start with that news conference yesterday. So the president welcomes the prime minister of Norway, you talk about ships passing in the night. I mean, they were not on the same planet. Here's the prime minister speaking about her country and the enormous strides that they have made, how strong their economy is. Why, she kept saying, because we have a green economy. We are um, in the uh, one of the leaders of the world in pursuing alternative energy, renewable energy, solar and wind and it is, and this is a country that's depended a lot on oil in the past, being in the North Sea. But she said that we're going in this renewable energy direction. It's creating jobs. It's lifted our economy. This is the future. And alongside of her, you got the president who's the only, leading the only country in the world, shame on us, that pulled out of the Paris Accords. She's one of the leaders of the Paris Accords, one of the world leaders on climate change. And Donald Trump, still a climate change denier, uh, still says it's a hoax invented by the, by, the, by the Chinese. And it was pretty embarrassing, I thought, to see the two of them alongside of each other. Most of the questions coming to Donald Trump had to do not so much with anything to do with Norway, but about things here at home. And again, uh, he was asked whether or not uh, he might be, uh, he was asked about the Russian investigation uh, and he repeats, he repeats that uh, this is all something that was invented by Democrats. It's a Democrat hoax that was brought up as an excuse for losing an election that, frankly, the Democrats should have won because they have such a tremendous advantage in the Electoral College. So it was brought up for that reason. Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, the special counsel's investigation, as we know, began after Donald Trump not Barack Obama, after Donald Trump fired James Comey. And Donald Trump's Justice Department, not Barack Obama's Justice Department, Donald Trump's Justice Department hired special counsel Robert Mueller to conduct this investigation. It was not started by Democrats. It was not conducted by Democrats. It was not invented by Democrats. It is Donald Trump's creation from the firing of James Comey. You know the other Fact. part. Of, the other Fact. The other part of that clip that I think we just skip over because everything else is so crazy is where he talked about Democrats have 
a huge advantage in the Electoral oh, College? Oh, yeah. Yeah, by the way. Right. What mm-hmm. does that even mean? Yeah. He would not be president if it were not that the Electoral College is tilted to the rural right? states. Right. That's how he got elected. I mean, he lost the he election. He lost the election. He lost the popular vote. He still says he won the popular vote because there are all these three million or five million uh, illegal people voted illegally, which he's there's absolutely zero evidence of. So he lost the election. The uh, the Electoral College really does tilt toward the rural red Republican states. And again, uh, he he says, why do we have this election? When, when he was, I'm sorry, this uh, investigation. He was asked whether or not he'd be willing to, um, th- and this was, uh, you know, from Fox News, right, was asked whether or not he'd be willing to uh, sit down with special counsel Robert Mueller if Mueller asks him uh, before the end of the investigation. Mueller's going to have to talk to Trump. I mean, come on. He's the target. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump, in effect, says, by the way, Six months ago, Donald Trump said, or a year ago, whenever it was, Trump said, absolutely, I'll sit down with Robert Mueller anytime, 100%, and talk to him about anything. Yesterday, he took a little different tune. Why do we need a meeting anyhow? We'll see what happens. I mean, certainly I'll see what happens. But uh, when they have no collusion and nobody's found any collusion at any level, uh, it seems unlikely that you'd even have an interview. No, no, no. No, no, no. Again. We mentioned this yesterday. It, it He is absolutely lying through his teeth to say nobody has found any collusion. He doesn't know. And it is true that nobody yet has shown the evidence of collusion, but the investigation is still going on. Robert Mueller has not concluded. The Senate Intelligence Committee has concluded. And the House Intelligence Committee haven't reached the end of their investigation. They are still gathering evidence on possible collusion no conclusion on, on collusion has been reached at all. Uh, and by the way, notice a change from I'll meet with him 100% to we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm talking to my lawyers. We'll see what happens. In other words, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And he says, and besides, this is so unfair. You know what? Donald Trump, if you asked him whether it's raining today or not, he would say, well, you know, Hillary Clinton, something about Hillary Clinton. He is obsessed with Hillary Clinton, even though he beat her, okay? She lost. He won. He cannot accept the fact that he won. He has to keep talking about Hillary Clinton on every occasion. So when he's asked about whether or not he would meet with Robert Mueller, again, he has to get a slam at Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton had an interview where she wasn't sworn in. She wasn't given the oath. They didn't take notes, they didn't record, and it was done on the 4th of July weekend. Uh, That's perhaps ridiculous, and a lot of people looked upon that as being uh, a very serious breach. Uh, I don't know. What does that mean? 4th of July weekend? What does that mean? So what? I mean, she was running for president. Maybe that's the time, obviously, she had the day off, right? Uh, It doesn't mean anything. And by the way, Donald... Donald, 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 if you're listening, okay, if you're watching Donald this morning, just because when you're talking to the FBI, just because you're not sworn in, if in fact she wasn't sworn in, and I don't think he knows, he just asserts that, 
But even if she wasn't sworn in, Donald, it's not okay to lie to the FBI. Okay. I just want you to know there is a law against lying to the FBI, Donald. So even if you're not sworn in, and even if it's a holiday weekend, better not lie to the FBI. That's what they're. That's that's where they could uh, uh, eventually get him. Uh, at any rate, the other thing, by the way, uh, Donald Trump said about the uh, uh, while he was there, he uh, talked about this big these the big help that we're giving Norway. We're selling them a very special plane. In November, we started delivering the first F-52s and F-35 fighter jets. We have a total of 52, and they've delivered a number of them already, a little ahead of schedule. That's great. Wow, that's awesome. That is really great. Is when good I, news? But, but when I heard that, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, F-52, I know, that's funny. I never heard about that plane before. And in fact, Peter... You're right. You haven't heard of that plane because it doesn't exist. <laughs> he came out and said that we sold them F-52s, which is a plane that does not exist. Now, there is a plane called the F-53, mm, uh-huh. and, they, and some of the reporting yesterday showed that, like, we haven't necessarily sold a bunch of these planes to Norway. But they are in production, so maybe that's what he was thinking about. But there is no F-52. Oh, okay. All right. So um, all those F-52s we sold you, give them back, right? Because because they don't exist. <laughs> it, was, it was, again, a bizarre, bizarre uh, uh, news conference yesterday. Uh, on the issue of immigration that came up yesterday, remember the day before Donald Trump at that meeting again, talk a bizarre meeting uh, with all with Democratic and Republican leaders around the table in the uh, cabinet room uh, at the White House, where he seemed to conclude um, that he would assign anything that the Congress put in front of him. Yeah, he wants a wall, but if the wall is not part of it, he'll still sign it. Yeah, he wants to help the Dreamers. Maybe he'll. He was all over the place. Maybe a clean Dreamers bill. Maybe not. And he finally ended up saying, basically, whatever these guys come up with, I know it'll be a good bill, and that's the bill that Hall signed. He got a lot of flack from uh, uh, conservatives and anti the anti-immigration forces, forces saying, how could you cave in like that to Democrats? So yesterday the question came up, would you sign a an immigration bill that Congress put in front of you if it did not include Funding for the wall, Donald Trump says, absolutely not. I really believe they're going to come up with a solution to the DACA problem, which has been going on for a long time, and maybe beyond that immigration as a whole. But any solution has to include the wall, because without the wall, it all doesn't work. Yep, there he is. There so his, he's, he, he's laid, it, laid it out there. That's where it, he stands for now, until he forgets Well, what that's for now. But, yeah, he's saying... You want to protect the dreamers, you want to do something about the dreamers, I'm with you, but my price is $18 billion to build the Donald Trump Memorial Wall with the letters, the big name Donald Trump on top of it, of course, along the southern border. Uh, I mentioned about how crazy that meeting was, and I I can't see how anybody could have watched any part of that 55-minute public meeting with Donald Trump and the lawyers where he bounced all over the place and kept contradicting himself. 
and kept getting corrected by Kevin McCarthy, among others, Republicans. Anytime it looked like he was going to help the, or agree with the Democrats, the Republicans would come in and then point out, Mr. President, basically, you don't know what you're talking about. And then he would agree with them. Uh, didn't look like somebody in charge to me, but boy, for Tom Tillis, Republican senator from North Carolina, he saw an entirely different Donald Trump. There was genius distributed or displayed yesterday in the meeting. And that was a, it, it's sort of a rare genius up here. It was actually listening <laughs> and being flexible. A rare genius. Yes. Uh, he might have added and a stable genius at that. <laughs> yes, right. Like this yeah. week alone, we've had to watch, you know, all so... these members of Trump's cabinet. Mike Pompeo came out and talked about what a great Nikki grasp Haley, of the facts. Nikki the Haley. His assistant press right. secretary called him sharp as a tack. Yeah. Uh, Peter King came out and said that, like, he's never seen any of the chaos that's described in Michael Wolff's book. And now you've got Tom Tillis calling him a rare genius. genius. Yeah. Right. Like, give me a br- Look, Donald Trump is a lot of things. Right. And if you want to be and complimentary, he's been, he's you can been, call him a visionary and a good leader, whatever. Right. I don't agree with that, but whatever. But he is not a genius with not, a firm uh, control of the facts. No, no. I mean, yeah, he's 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 crafty. Right. He's shifty. He's been very successful. Sure. You can say all of that. Right. Sure. Uh, but genius. No. And the fact that they trot all these people out and say, here's your job today. You have to go out and call Donald Trump a genius. And, boy, if you do, he will be your friend forever. Yes. Oh, well, well, until you until. say one mean thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It'll give you a new nickname. Well, who's running? The, we, we asked the question the other day, who's running the, uh, the, uh, the country? Who's running the Trump White House? Well, we know who's running today. Today we know who's running one part of the uh, Trump White House. We know who's running their uh, energy policy person running their energy policy, it turns out, thanks to, uh, we know now, thanks to the New York Times and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, the man running their energy policy is Robert E. Murray, who is the chairman and the president and the chief executive officer of Murray Energy Corporation. That's a big coal company. Murray gave uh, the uh, Trump campaign or the Trump um, inauguration $300,000 in return for which he was invited to say, what do you think we ought to do about coal, Bobby? Well, um, Bobby wrote a memo to Vice President Mike Pence. Sheldon Whitehouse, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, got a copy of it somehow, uh, gave it to the New York Times. It was printed in full yesterday in the New York Times. And here's all you need to know about it, uh, that in this memo, uh, Mr. Murray put forth a, some 14 detailed ideas on what Donald Trump should do to help the coal industry, including, of course, reversing, repealing the rules adopted by the EPA on um, greenhouse gas emissions from existing and new coal-fired power plants. Uh, so far, and it's only one year in, uh, the administration has fulfilled almost every one of those 14 requests put forth by Mr. Murray. Uh, the evidence is there. Here's the, here's the uh, list of uh, directions, if you will, or instructions from the coal industry, and here's the delivery on the part of the Trump administration. 
it reminds me very, very much way back, remember, when uh, George W. Bush was elected and he put Vice President Dick Cheney, the big oil man, in charge, two oil men, uh, in charge of preparing the administration's energy policy. Uh, Dick Cheney invited the utilities and the oil industry executives in. They wrote the policy. He had not one meeting with any environmental organization. So it's the same pot, the same same mo, if you will, uh, turning to the polluters to write the rules on pollution. Uh, and we found out yesterday that's exactly what the Trump administration is going um, doing. And yes, at the White House, Jared Kushner, it turns out, has a new job. This is Washington Post reporting yesterday that uh, Jared Kushner, who is he, he's in charge of everything at the White House, right? I mean. Um, Name first, it. He's in charge of it. Yeah. First, they put him in charge of reinventing government, the old Al Gore uh, task. Uh, then they put him, of course, in charge of the Middle East peace process, which is getting a little sticky because it turns out that the Kushner Corporation has multiple, multiple, multiple business ties and investments with Israeli banks uh, and all kinds of business deals and uh People are starting to question whether Jared Kushner, who is a nobody, not know nothing, but also might have these with these huge conflicts of interest, might not be really an honest broker in the Middle East. Well, Jared Kushner's new job is, we're told, prison reform. They're going to have a great big conference at the White House on what to do about prison reform. Um, and the man in charge who's pulling it all together is Jared Kushner which I find really bizarre on a couple of reasons. Number one, because there was a whole movement last year or the year before last year of Barack Obama on prison reform which was making and sentencing reform, which was making a lot of bipartisan progress, Republicans and Democrats working together. Remember Barack Obama and the Koch brothers all supporting this effort for sentencing reform um, because uh, the, the the system today is so skewed against particularly young black men. Uh, it's so skewed against nonviolent drug offenders uh, that it does, and it's costing us a lot of money with jamming the prisons with all of these nonviolent um, people accused of nonviolent drug crimes. At any rate, it's a good, it's a it's a very important uh, area. But Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General of the United States, stopped all of those efforts. He said, no, we're not going to do that. Remember, Jeff Sessions says everybody in every case should go for the maximum possible sentence. So any idea about prison reform, sentencing reform, according to Jeff Sessions, last year, is that, nope, it's off the table. We're not even going to consider it. Now, suddenly, they're back on it, and Jared Kushner is in charge, which, again, probably makes sense because uh, Jared Kushner's father went to prison, and Jared Kushner himself maybe headed to prison and Jared Kushner's wife's father or Jared Kushner's father-in-law could be heading for prison too, depending on what Robert Mueller comes up with. We'll see how that goes. Uh, hats off to the state of Vermont, the Green Mountain State. Just got a little greener yesterday. The House of Representatives, I think they call it that in Vermont, last week approved uh, uh, the recreation, this recreational use of marijuana in the state of Vermont, and yesterday the state senate approved it. Uh, approved it as well. The Republican governor of Vermont says he will sign the bill 
It will take effect July 1. Very, very important because Vermont becomes the ninth state plus the District of Columbia to recognize the to legalize the recreational use of marijuana and the first state in the nation to do so by legislative action, not an initiative or a referendum. In fact, Vermont doesn't have a referendum. They don't have the initiative process. So all the other eight states have done so through a state through a citizen's vote. This is the state legislature. Both the House and the Senate have now approved it. Governor says he will sign it. Vermont, number nine. And what I love is this is on the heels of Jeff Sessions of the DOJ saying that they're going to start cracking mm-hmm. down on the states mm-hmm. that have legalized it. Right. And they just, uh, right in his face, right. we're, we're going to legalize it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, bad news for Republicans on a couple of fronts. Uh, well, yeah, number one, we mentioned yesterday that uh, crazy Joe Arpaio, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, uh, has announced he's going to run for Senate in Arizona. Uh, what's he going to run on? Yesterday, he announced one of his policy, one of his positions is that Barack Obama's birth was not born in the United States. <laughs> it was not a leg- legitimate president, and his birth certificate was phony. I, I hate to I laugh because it's a serious thing, and this guy could actually. I mean, even Donald like, Trump on. gave that up after five years, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's his Joe Pio. Yeah, wacko, wacko. But the other bad news for Democrats is another yet another Republican uh, member of Congress yesterday announced he is not going to seek re-election. He is Daryl Issa, by the way, one of the most odious, despicable members of Congress. He's been pretty quiet here for the he last couple of years, it, but there but was a period boy, of time oh, where God. he was public enemy <laughs> number one for Democrats. That's when he was chair yeah. of the House Oversight Committee. And he did such a lousy job that John Boehner took the job away from him. Uh, but anyhow, Daryl Issa... North San Diego County, stepping down, um, a district that Hillary Clinton won the last time around. Daryl Issa almost lost it last time. He so won. close. He won by less than half a percentage point. Um, Ed Royce, another Republican from just north of Daryl Issa in Orange County, been there for a decade. Ed Royce stepping down. His district was also won by Hillary Clinton uh, in 2016. That brings a total of 29 Republican seats now that are open because 29 members of Congress have said they are either not going to run for re-election. Well, they're not going to run for re-election. Some of them are retiring. Some of them are running for higher office. 29 Republican seats, um, some 23 of them that Hillary Clinton carried in 2016, um, uh, other seats like Charlie Dent up in Pennsylvania, Frank Frank Lobiondo from uh, New Jersey, uh, Ileana Ross Leighton from from Florida, um, very very uh, really opens the door uh, for Democrats in many districts that they may not they didn't think they they'd even have a shot at. Now those are very competitive districts, and certainly increases the chances that Dem- Democrats are going to be able to take back the House uh, this year in 2020. Uh, eases the way and opens up a lot more possibilities. Democrats get strong candidates in every one of those districts. They've proven uh, that they can win those districts. Hillary Clinton won most of those districts. So, um, by the way, they're going to be looking good. And there are going to be more. Right. There are going to be more. Darrell Lysa yesterday basically saying, you know, look, been there, done that. 
I've done what I could do, and, and doing things again isn't always the right move. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to know it's time to go and young enough to know that uh, I still have plenty of energy left to do something productive. And smart enough to know that I almost got my ass beat last time and I would lose the next time, so I'd rather get out than lose. Welcome to the spin room. Uh, exactly. <laughs> All right. Oh, man, I told you, I told you there's a lot going on today. We're just getting started here. Let's take a quick break and uh, say hello to Kate Martell uh, from The Hill and the 20, 1230 report on The Hill. Coming up next here on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. It's a great day. It is Thursday, January 11. Uh, Thanks so much for being part of the Bill Press Show. Here we go. Coming to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. with all the news of the day and brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their dynamic international president, Leo Girard. Talked to Leo Girard yesterday. He is just recovering from triple bypass surgery. Uh, doing very well. He's as ornery and as rascally as ever. We'll soon be uh, 100% back on the job. But we uh, salute uh, Leo Gerard and the good members of the Steelworkers Union. Thank them for their support. I uh, encourage you to uh, check out their website, usw.org, and all the good work that they're doing to bring steel jobs um, back to the United States and uh, protect those jobs that we still have here uh, in this country. Uh, I've mentioned before um, that uh, I write a column for The Hill, thehill.com. It's the best source of uh, news about what's happening here in Washington, both uh, down at the White House, on Capitol Hill, and throughout the federal government. And then if you want the, the, the liveliest kind of recapture of the hot news of the day, you get the 1230 report. It's free. You can sign up for it, the 1230 report put together every day by... Kate Martell. It's pretty sassy. I like it because of that. And Kate joins us in studio this morning. Hello, Kate. Hello. Thanks for having nice me. Nice to Bill. see you. I have the impression that you have fun putting the, the twelve thirty <laughs> report together. I don't know if my editors should know that. Yes, I have a lot of fun writing it. It's um it's it's one of those things that I mean this year especially, I remember thinking after the twenty sixteen election, what am I gonna write about? And now we have a gold mine of you need the sarcasm. You need the sass in this that when you think of the news, it's, yes, every article has the same lead, the same kind of nut graph. Um, but I like to be able to pull, like, little nuggets and say, here's what's funny about it and here's why you should actually care instead of just the normal news. So yeah, I have fun. No, <laughs> no it's politically irreverent, which is which is refreshing, uh, I think. So uh, congratulations. Uh, good job. I just noticed uh, during the break here uh, on Morning Joe, they were showing um, the latest NBC poll that in January 2017, uh, Donald Trump had a 36% approval rating. Uh, In January 2018, today, Donald Trump has a 36% approval rating. (laughs) Uh, Is that progress? Ah, well, it has been hovering in the 30s Um, at this point that that's his new level that we saw him tweet this morning how great the economy was doing. He was referencing this new Quinnipiac poll that said 66 percent of Americans polled said that they had a positive view of the economy right now. 
And to me, that just shows that he's very, very aware of this approval rating. And that's why he is trying to focus on other things. And to him, by taking some bad polling numbers and countering them with good polling numbers, even though they can't be equated, is kind of his way of of trying to spin the story. Even though if you look further into that Quinnipiac poll, most voters believe that's because former President Barack Obama um, is the cause of this economy. Um, but then going back to this approval rating that we've just seen a year of constant tension, turmoil within the Republican Party, within among the American people, um, that it is just showing a lot. It's almost this sense of people being tired by it, um, that people are just exasperated by how Congress has been handling and the White House and its relationship with the American people. And it also shows that, as you say, after this year of turmoil, which has really been, I mean, that 36 percent in January 2017 was Donald Trump's base. They're the people who love him, who elected him. He could, in his famous words, walk out on the Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody in the head and they would still love him. Uh, captured on video, they would still love him, right? And now, so today, 36%, that's the same people, that's the same base. So he really hasn't moved beyond pleasing, satisfying, playing to his base. Exactly. Which, which you would think, if you wanted to lead the country, you'd try to do. Which is why two phrases come to mind when you look at his tweets, witch hunt and border wall. Those are two things that are appeasing his base, and you can see that when times get tough for him, he's going back directly back to that base, and that's when we see some of these buzzwords start popping up, fake news media and mainstream media. Those are him trying to appease his base because he knows that's kind of who he needs to work on right now. Um, but, I mean, Republican sources right now are touting the fact that they think that um, this number will go up because Americans will see their paychecks go up because of the tax bill. Um, but I think it's more broader than that, that that's kind of undercutting what is actually going on right now. They're, but they're not going to I, I, I'm skeptical about that. They're not going to go up that much. Uh, and I think the American people are smart enough to realize um, where most of the benefits are going. The are permanent to, benefits, the permanent are benefits are going to the big corporations and to the wealthiest uh, of uh, of Americans. So. um we saw a bizarre news conference yesterday at the White House between the Prime Minister of Norway and the President of the United States. And as you mentioned, uh, the questions to Donald Trump had to do with the um, Robert Mueller uh, investigation. What does he think about this investigation? Here's what it is. It was all invented by Democrats. It's a Democrat hoax that was brought up as an excuse for losing an election that, frankly, the Democrats should have won because they have such a tremendous advantage in the Electoral College. So it was brought up for that reason. Uh, yes, yeah, says the man who lost the election, uh, lost the popular vote at any rate. Uh, but this idea, he, he he's, this is not obviously the first time he said this. From the beginning, he still sticks to it. It's a hoax. It's a witch hunt. Democratic hoax. The Democrats started it. Democrats invented it. What's the truth? I mean, it shows why we need a special counsel. Um, in his tweet yesterday, he said at the end, Republicans should take control. Now, what does that mean? He is thinking that Republicans in Congress should start disputing these investigations in the House and the Senate side. And that is almost he's referring to whether Mueller should be fired as well. And that's just showing why this is political. Um, and I think 
kind of looking forward to. Um, we are still at risk of Russians hacking elections that um, reports have come out that we are not necessarily um, free from from some of that from some of that Russian hacking. And the only way to go forward on that is to be able to have both parties come in. And when you're the president, the top of the the top of Washington isn't believing and trying to make it sound like all this Russian interference is actually a hoax. That's not going to help us going forward. But it leads you to question almost, does Donald Trump realize that the investigation is being conducted by the Justice Department? His Justice Department. His <laughs> Justice Department, right. Now, his attorney general has recused himself, which Donald Trump's not happy with, but his deputy attorney general is still Rosenstein. Robert Mueller is working for the the Justice his Justice Department, Robert Mueller was appointed only after Donald Trump to conduct this investigation after Donald Trump fired James Comey. So if anybody's to blame for this, the, the beginning of a special counsel investigation, it's Donald Trump. And we can't forget, too, that Bob Mueller's a Republican himself. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I, his, <laughs> I, I, I know he keeps saying that. And then the question would be uh, six months ago or so. Donald Trump says, oh, sit down with Robert Mueller? Yeah, anytime. Bring him in. 100%. Tell him anything. Nothing to hide. Didn't quite take that uh, same uh, approach yesterday. Nope. He said 100% sit down with him in June. Even last week, um, he made it sound like he was still willing to sit down with Bob Mueller. And all of a sudden, we're seeing a change in tune from that press conference. Um, I mean, the poor Norwegian prime minister, what did he get? Yeah. You know, <laughs> he didn't know what he signed. I guess he knew what he signed up for. Um, the whole world is aware of what these press conferences are like. Anyway, um, um, we are looking at now President Trump saying that he doesn't think he'll need to sit down with Robert Mueller's and special counsel investigation. Um, he said that he's calling it all a hoax and saying there was no collusion. He wouldn't need to sit down with him. Um, now, where that's stemming from is that there have been reports in the past few weeks that Robert Mueller would be wanting to sit down with the Trump administration. And there has been talks that some of the Trump lawyers have been discussing terms for whether right. he'd sit down. And that includes kind of signing an affidavit of innocence or written questions that he can come up with answers to to try to control this. Um, I, I don't think there's any way that this conclude this investigation will conclude without an interview with the president of the United States. He is ultimately the target of the investigation. They're looking into whether or not there was collusion between the Trump uh, operation and the Russians. Donald Trump was in charge. He's the ultimate guy in charge of the Trump operation, not Paul Manafort, not even Corey Lewandowski, not even Jared Kushner, not Donnie Jr. It's Trump himself. Uh, and they're also looking into possible obstruction of justice through the firing of James Comey to stop the FBI from looking into possible crimes committed at the White House. Again, the target of that ultimately is Donald Trump. So. Bill Clinton may not have wanted to sit down with uh, Ken Starr, but he ended up doing so. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and, and I think Donald Trump will, 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 have, to, uh, will have to as well. So um, one other thing that, uh, that, that Donald, the, the president talked about yesterday, not at the news conference, but in the, in his, the beginning of his cabinet meeting, uh, and this relates back to the re release last week of the first excerpts from Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury. Have you read it? I've read excerpts, but it's been hard to get our hands on this book. So I finally have the Kindle version. 
You can. That's true. You cannot get one. I mean, f- physical copies disappear. The few that got out there, right? And uh, Holt, Henry Holt Publishing has now ordered, they're printing up a million copies. And it's Un- bestseller next New York, New York Times yeah. is, is debut. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> but Trump obviously is not happy with it because the book uh, says uh, it costs Steve Bannon to lose his job because of his comments, but the book says that there are um, members of the uh, senior members of the White House staff who are very concerned about the president's mental capacity uh, and um, even wonder whether he's up to the job, whether he might have early Alzheimer's, uh, whether they might have to someday invoke the 25th Amendment. Um, how serious are the, is that, and what is, is, what's it based on? Well, um, I can say that Democratic House Rep released a bill last week that they called the stable or earlier this week the, the stable genius act which I, <laughs> I i love the staffers that come up with some of these <laughs> lines there was the mar-a-lago act that was turned into an acronym anyway um i didn't realize they were calling it the stable genius the act. Stable that's genius act. because that's what donald Trump, how he described himself yeah i'm a genius a stable genius a Stable genius. That. that was on a, a, an early saturday morning tweet as we all do on our saturday mornings you mm-hmm. know um but stepping back from this more seriously is this that the chances of the 25th Amendment being evoked are very slim. Um, that for to be able to get, you'd need Congress involved to be able to, to to determine the mental capacity of the president is not up to speed would be nearly impossible um, from some people I've talked to. There are scenarios, that, but um, the chances of that happening are pretty slim. But I think kind of what is more in focus short term is what this means for um for what, as we're looking at like the government shutdown and we're looking at the border wall and some of the things that we're seeing the president trying to accomplish right now, um, that it is being put into the hands of a lot of his advisors. And we know there's a lot of tension within the White House. Um, so it does matter in the sense that what is the president and the administration trying to accomplish right now and how much will this actually hurt the Republicans' chances? And this will translate into 2018 and 2020. And as we go on, It'll hurt. But you mentioned the Stable Genius Act. Just get back to that for a second. What these, some two dozen Democrats who have sponsored that, what it would require, what it calls for, is the establishment of a special commission uh, of psychiatrists and physicians to examine the president and then to come to a conclusion and a recommendation about whether or not he is fit to hold the office of president of the United States. And if they say no, then that he would be removed from office. So yeah. that would add like another trigger it would. of how to remove Donald Trump from, from, uh, from yes. office. Not that that bill will ever see the light of day as long as Paul Ryan is speaker. Exactly. Uh, but um, that, that, that's a, another approach some people are pursuing. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is saying that you should not even be able to, you should not in this country be able to publish a book like Michael Wolff. He has threatened to sue to block its publication and yesterday he went one step further again in his comments at the beginning of this cabinet meeting to say that maybe it's time to reexamine the libel laws in this country. Here Our he current is. libel laws are a sham <laughs> and a disgrace and do not represent American values or American fairness. So we're going to take a strong look at that. And uh, Donald Trump says we're going to take a strong look and we're going to make it easier if, if somebody says something uh, negative about you, going to make it easier for you or for him 
to sue. So that when somebody says something that is false and defamatory about someone, that person will have meaningful recourse in our courts. That's kind of terrifying considering how litigious the president has been. Yes. Uh, Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's not like there's been a lot stopping him from suing people over very little. I don't know why the the libel laws are are holding him back from doing it. Like, you know, they just sued BuzzFeed about the dossier stuff. Yeah. His personal lawyer just filed that. Yeah. You know, I've got to go back and and confirm my memory. But my quick memory is that there were some 400 lawsuits when he was elected that he was still involved with. (laughs) Yeah. No, because he sued so many people. Now, he threatens to sue maybe more than he sues. Like, he threatened to sue every woman who accused him of sexual harassment. He hasn't sued any of them yet, and I doubt as president that he will. And now he's threatened to sue uh, Michael Wolff and Henry Holt Publishing for the, for the, for this book. He hasn't done so yet. But when you got a president who says we ought to toughen up the libel law so that you basically cannot write a book or publish a book that's critical of the president of the United States, whoa. That's fa- we're looking at fascism there. Yeah, um, it's absolutely. just as bad as some of when he's been threatening to sue news outlets. That it's all this is First Amendment rights. That one of the branches of federal government is trying to prevent people from writing negative coverage of the president. This is looking at some scary, <laughs> some scary leaders that we're compa- that we could compare that to. Well, yeah, and uh, we've tried it before in this country. Uh, John Adams uh, famously passed the uh, and sponsored and got got Congress to pass the uh, Alien and Sedition Laws, you know, uh, back in the 19th century, which made it a crime to criticize the president of the United States. I'm sure that's where Donald Trump wants to take us. But it is yeah. it, it is pretty scary. Um, this is January 11. Um, the government runs out of money on January 19th. Are Eight we, days. Are we gonna see, yeah, right. Uh, it's very unclear what's going to happen right now to keep... I think the chances of a shutdown do remain still unlikely because what I've been hearing right now is they'll probably be looking at another stopgap temporary spending bill because even the top line figures haven't been negotiated once those are negotiated to actually come up with this text um, and to come up with the specifics takes time. So I think the chances of them actually just spending, passing a spending bill that will go until September right now are fairly small. Um, I, what the vehicle right now is DACA. We're looking at immigration, and DACA protections are what people are what that Congress members are trying to use to push through um, for the government spending bill. But from President uh, President Trump's press conference yesterday, what's complicating things is that while there's negotiations going on on what would be in this immigration negotiation package, now the president is saying he wants border protect border wall funding in this bill. So. However, this goes down, it could very plausibly happen that Congress comes up with negotiations that the president won't pass. But, you know, border security is one of those terms that everybody throws around. And in a sense, who can dis- who can argue with border security? But it means different things to different people. I mean, border security can mean border agents, more border agents. It can mean uh, more uh, drones. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could mean more police dogs. I don't know. It could mean more uh, electronic surveillance. Right. 
It doesn't necessarily have to mean a physical wall. It could mean a chain link fence. But for Donald Trump, there's no doubt, border security for him means the Donald Trump Memorial Concrete Wall. Hashtag MAGA all over it. <laughs> Hashtag MAGA all over it, right. Yep. Or Trump in gold letters on top of it. Which is ironic, too, because a few days ago, um, President Trump, when he had an Im- a meeting on immigration, he did even concede that he will go with whatever his experts tell him. Right. And it sounded like he wasn't talking about a physical wall. Then add in a day and he goes back to he needs this wall funding. Oh, yeah. So Yes, Yesterday at the news conference, he made it clear. No, 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 yeah. no. It's got to be the so. wall. It's got to be the wall. In fact, he tweeted right after the meeting uh, th- that um, the meeting with the legislators a couple of days ago uh, because he realized that he was getting criticism for it looked like he was caving on the wall, that no, there has to be a wall. And here's how he put it yesterday when he was asked by uh, the first reporter from the Washington Examiner, would you sign a bill that does not have the wall in it? He said, no. I really believe they're going to come up with a solution to the DACA problem, which has been going on for a long time, and maybe beyond that immigration as a whole. But any solution has to include the wall, because without the wall, it all doesn't work. There you go. Uh, Kate Martell with us again from The Hill, author of the 1230 report for The Hill, at thehill.com, and you can sign up. It's free. Uh, I get it every day, Uh, and I always look forward to reading it. Kate. Um, yesterday, we heard from a yet another Republican member of Congress, this Daryl Issa from uh, Southern California, uh, saying he was going to hang it up, not going to run again. Here he tells why. I've done what I could do, and, and doing things again isn't always the right move. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to know it's time to go and young enough to know that uh, I still have plenty of energy left to do something productive. And smart enough to know he almost lost his ass last time. So maybe it's time to get out. But what does this mean for this is this is not the first Republican saying in a competitive district, I'm not going to run again. This is not even the second Republican from Cal or not even the first Republican from California this week who is hung in the towel yeah, this week, this week, Ed Royce also from Orange County. Now, I think if you look at just Daryl Issa, it makes sense. Like you were saying earlier, he lost by 1,600 votes, and that was in a district that Hillary Clinton won by seven points. Um, Democrats already had their sights set on his seat. There were about four Democratic challengers who are already well-funded. So Mm -hmm. that in itself makes sense. Um, It's not surprising that Daryl Issa is hanging up the towel. But like you said, expand this out to a broader problem that— um, House members, House Democrats need 24 seats. That's the magic number right now. And we are nearing four, nearing 30 House Republicans who are hanging up the towel. Um, it's starting to have 2006 written all over it where um, the majority party lost 31 seats. Mm-hmm. Um, Republican from Republican sources from the NRCC are already sort of conceding that they think that, that 15 seats could be lost from Republicans. But we're looking at massive gains right now for Democrats. Um, Democrats should be emboldened right now um, to realize that they're getting, there's going to be money pouring in over the next few months. Like you guys were saying earlier, yes, we've already seen almost 30 House Republican or House Dem- Republicans retire, but that's it's early on. We could still see much more, many more yeah. races open yeah. up, and a lot of these we are going to see the tides turn. Um, 
and potentially see major gains for the Democratic Party. Do you think they're doing it because they realize that they're going to be in the minority party and they don't want to be around? I mean, it's part of it because it's not just the race. At the end of the day, when they are sworn in, whoever's sworn in 2019, it's, yes, it's being the majority party, but or the minority party if they lose. But we're also looking at the fact that the top of the Republican Party is there's so much turmoil and tension among them. So it's more than just being yeah. a minority party. It's not be agreeing with the top of the ticket. Uh, yeah, it's a good time to get out. It's a good time to make the move. Many Republicans are coming to that uh, to that conclusion. Kate Martell, it's always good to see you. Thanks so much. Uh, again, uh, urge you to uh, do what I do every day. Read the 1230 report. Go to thehill.com. We'll be right back with Daryl Lynn from this Vox. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Broadcasting around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Once again, Donald Trump says it's nothing but a hoax, it's nothing but a big witch hunt. I wonder whether he will tell... Robert Mueller that when he finally sits down for his interview with the special counsel. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Thursday, January 11. Here we go. Hour number two of the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, never fails with Donald Trump in the White House. There is a lot to talk about, a lot we want to get into with all of you. And whether you're joining us online on television or the radio, Nationwide, we're happy to have you with us to cover the big stories of the day. Donald Trump at his news conference yesterday with the Prime Minister of Norway saying, uh, no DACA deal unless we I get my $18 billion for the wall. Trump again also calling the special counsel investigation nothing but a Democratic, invented by Democrats to cover up their embarrassing loss uh, to him in 2016. The state of Vermont becoming the ninth state in the union to recognize the recreational, to legalize the recreational use of marijuana. And two more California Democrats, Daryl Issa and Ed Royce, saying they've had it. They're not going to run for re-election uh, in 2018, which certainly increases Democrats' chances of taking back the House of Representatives. Uh, all of that news we'll get into um, with uh, our good friend Dara Lind from Vox, a senior reporter for Vox covering immigration issues. Dara, welcome to the program. Morning, Bill. Great to be here. Nice to see you today. Lots to talk about, particularly with the president back and forth on DACA. And we'll jump right into it. Remember, always look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first... This is the Peter. Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. I know the holidays are over. We're into a new year. We're done with all of the gift giving. But Sadly. 
Do okay. you, I imagine you bought some gifts online over the holiday oh, yeah. season. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, you're not alone. In fact, some of the numbers have come out for where we spent our dollars for holiday shopping. Now, this takes a look at yeah. the retail between the period of Thanksgiving and the end of the year. Let me guess, more online than in brick and mortar stores. You're not wrong, and it was by a lot. For example, Walmart reports that they sold 4.4% of all gifts that were given over the holiday season. Target sold 2.4% of all of the gifts that were given over the holiday huh. season. Amazon, <laughs> 89% of the gifts that were given over Get the holiday out. season. Somebody, 89% of Americans got something off of Amazon between Thanksgiving and the end of the year. Unbelievable. Is that, does that blow your mind? Absolutely. That completely yeah. blows my mind. Whoa. Yeah. There you go. Because you can buy anything on sure. Amazon. Sure. Well, they, they point out to the fact that you can go on Amazon and find just about anything you want. Even other retailers, you can easily go to the store and buy stuff. You don't have to go to the store. You just buy it on Amazon. So, like, just everything is there. So they just, they just did it on Amazon this year. 89%. Of Americans bought something off of Amazon this holiday season. Well, uh, moving on, next month is the Winter Olympics. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Well, the White House said that Mike Pence, vice president, will be leading the U.S. delegation to the Winter Olympics. They take place in South Korea. <laughs> and so they pointed out that this is an attempt to send a signal to their neighbors up north, North Korea. Uh, one senior uh, administration official for the uh, Trump administration said that uh, not only are they going there to send a signal to the North Korea regime, but they are going to um, show support for the troops that are stationed mm. oh, over there. Yeah, right. By the way, funny story yesterday. I talked to a friend of mine who was uh, with the press corps down in Mar-a-Lago over the holidays with Donald Trump. Okay. And they said, you know, they have changed their mind about getting rid of Donald Trump and having Mike Pence because they'd rather be in Palm Beach than in Indianapolis. <laughs> Fair. Totally fair. <laughs> totally That's fair. a consideration we hadn't thought about before. Imagine being stuck in Indianapolis for the holidays. Oh, Jesus. This is the Bill Press Show. Nothing but a hoax, nothing but a witch hunt, no collusion, Donald Trump says yet again uh, about the Robert Mueller investigation. Hello, everybody. On a Thursday, January 11, here we are, the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today, and thanks so much for joining us. As we boom out to you nationwide from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., here's where we start out, but we end up wherever you are in this country, whether you're following us on joining the show online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Whether you're watching us on television, hello out there on TV land, on Free Speech TV, or whether you're joining us on the radio out in Chicago in the greater Chicago area, the great WCPT, we welcome you to the program and look forward to getting your comments, hearing from you on Twitter at BP Show. Immigration uh, is the big issue of the day and uh, maybe the de certainly, I guess, the deciding issue uh, in all discussions about how to keep the government and whether to keep the government open beyond the, Jan the new January 19 deadline. Uh, senior reporter for Vox covers covering immigration issues, Dara Lind, 
joins us in studio this morning. Dara, it's good to see you. Welcome. Good to be on. Thank you. And uh, Happy New Year to you. And to you. Your first visit to the uh, Bill Press Show studio, as I think. No? It's Have you my been first here before? visit with you. I think that I was here. Oh, when you, were, you snuck in I with did. one of those guests. That's it, right. It was me, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. okay. Well, Sorry. Now you get the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Donald Trump says, okay, I'm with you. I want to help the dreamers. Uh, just give me $18 billion for my wall. That's the deal he's offering Democrats. Is that a deal Democrats ought to take? So I don't think, for one thing, I think that the president has said a lot of things. And if we learned anything from that ridiculous spectacle of a live negotiation on Tuesday, it's that Strange. It not so- only is it clear that Donald Trump himself doesn't necessarily Think think about what he's saying or mean what he's saying when he talks about immigration. But or know what the he's people around about. him understand now that he doesn't necessarily know what he's saying when he talks about it. So, you know, during that meeting at one point, he said that he would support a clean dream act, which is just what Democrats have been using to mean a deal to protect people who are protected under the DACA program that doesn't include any border security or anything else. And other Republicans in the room had to kind of jump in and say, no, 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 you don't. No, really. You you don't mean that. You don't mean that at all. Um, Kevin McCarthy had to say, no, exactly, Mr. President, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. (laughs) Right. So now that it's, it's very clear that the congressional leadership understands that he doesn't necessarily know where the lines should be drawn or mean mean the lines when he's drawing them. I think any demands he's making about the wall should be taken with even more of a grain of salt than they already were. I think that this administration has been pretty flexible in what it considers a wall and what it considers sufficient funding to build the wall. They made requests in appropriations bills last year for like a billion and a half dollars to build about 75. Yeah. Well, not just prototypes, but... The, the prototypes are, are currently being built on existing uh, appropriated money, but about 75 n- miles in some new wall- fencing, some levee wall in Texas, and they were touting that as building the wall. So the there was this document that you mentioned that you know got sent out from the White House last week that said it's going to take $18 billion over 10 years to build the wall. It's not clear, and no one at the White House has said, that is our demand for DACA. They have said that it's their vision document. So when Trump says he wants the wall, it's still there's still a lot of room for negotiation there. And even some Senate Republicans have said, well, nobody is actually saying 2,000 miles of physical wall. Like a couple of Republicans last week said, what about $2.5 billion for something like 200 miles? That's That strikes me as a deal that it is much more likely that Democrats take than if Republicans were actually saying $18 billion. There's, there is a lot of playing around with words. Exactly. Yeah, okay. there's a lot now of wall take, versus fence. Let, there's a lot of how long does it have to be to be built. Yeah. Okay. One, for, one phrase that is very loosely used is border security. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, border security can mean anything from drones to dogs to more Asians to a chain link fence to... A physical big concrete wall, right? I and mean, and it's actually and beyond one of the that. things, right? One of the things to watch out for that I'm not sure is going to come up in this particular fight, but that I think is kind of 
that we're going to hear more of as apprehensions at the U.S.-Mexico border continue to increase slowly is that because so many of the people who are coming into the U.S. from Mexico now are, are coming they're not at, not from Mexico, but through True. Mexico yeah. from from Central America and are coming to the U.S. to seek asylum. A lot of Republicans have started worrying that it the U.S. is being too generous in seeking asylum and in, in allowing people to get asylum, that it's somehow encouraging people to come here. So there's talk of closing enforcement, quote unquote, loopholes um, and making it harder for people who are coming mm-hmm. to the U.S. to seek asylum. And that, too, is getting Put under the the heading of border security. Of border security plus plus I think what do they call this? Kind of eye recognition technology. Oh yeah, iris scanning technology. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of there's there's also so a lot all of, of that, all of that can be how do we prevent under... visa overstays? Question that right. It, right. It's that all even that though visa be... overstays don't are you know by definition they're not you know that's something you're not catching at a border that's a matter yeah. of monitoring people once they're in the United States right but all of that comes under the broad heading of border security so that it's so when people say border security it's hard to know exactly what they're talking about and and also there as you just pointed out um it's not clear what people mean when they say the wall right but do we know what donald my feeling is that when Don, you say the wall Donald Trump does envision a massive concrete. He's described it in so many ways. There's going to be a beautiful wall on this side, not the other side. It's going to be so tall you can't get over it, so deep you can't get under it, uh, <laughs> and uh, so wide you can't get around it. <laughs> so there's a song about more... that. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I forget what it is. Parliament. Though. It's Parliament Funkadelic. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have never I was, known that I would have been working with you long enough to hear you quote George Clinton, <laughs> Atomic Dog, on the Bill Press show, and yet here we are. There it is, man of the people. <laughs> so the thing is that at that Tuesday meeting, you know, Dick Durbin came out of it saying, my head is spinning, which I don't blame him, um, but he was saying that Donald Trump didn't didn't appear to know what he meant by the wall, that he had several different visions of the wall that he was describing, you know, at some time. Sometimes he said the wall needs to be transparent, which actually is something that border agents themselves, you know, do want. But then but then he'll say, and maybe it needs to be solar powered, which is like not a thing that anyone has ever. So so it's not. the. I, I have a friend who was at a meeting mm-hmm. with Donald Trump in the Oval Office with a group of labor leaders. He is one of the president of one of the major labor unions in this country. I won't name his name where Donald Trump assured these labor leaders that there would be a door in the wall, too. A door in the wall so the people to pick grapes could come through the wall. Right. I mean, he's so, used I mean, the, he, he's, he's used he's the idea of a door the in the wall to encourage, you know, that legal immigration won't be stopped, which is, of course, hilarious because his administration is doing more than any administration in recent memory to curb legal immigration. But it's the weird thing is that, you know, the prototypes that you mentioned are currently they've been built and they're being tested along the San Diego sector of the border. And Trump himself, right after he does the State of the Union on January 30th, is scheduled to go visit them. And I feel a little bit concerned because they don't look super impressive. They look I mean, Hmm. there are there are they put out two requests for prototypes. One was for concrete and one was for anything but concrete. And all of the non-concrete ones, it's like they're a fence topped by a concrete wall. <laughs> like you, oh. they only really had one idea, and, and everybody who put in, you know, who put in pro, uh, 
proposals only really had one idea of what the wall could look like, but they look like pretty dinky things because they're just these segments of wall. And I I don't know what Donald Trump's going to think when he right. shows up and sees these like little segments. All right. Bottom line, 19th of January. Do you think there will be some deal struck which would provide protection for the dreamers and some kind of border security. I am really not sure. I was pretty pessimistic about that at the beginning of this week, but uh, there's a, there was a story in Politico this morning that the, a deal is close <laughs> enough to getting made that Democrats are getting upset about the yeah, concessions yeah, their I side might that. be making. But but that also included a couple of details about the other you know things that Republicans have been demanding as enforcement trade-offs on legal immigration that actually seem like workarounds that ultimately Democrats could swallow. So I think I think there's an outside chance that that actually does happen. Well, what impact does the federal judge's decision in California in the Ninth Circuit uh, saying that Donald Trump couldn't was wrong in shutting down DACA, that the program must continue and they have to resume taking ap- renewal applications? What impact does that decision have on this whole process? So it really shouldn't because, for one thing, it shouldn't have any impact because uh, it's not at all clear when the government is actually going to start taking renewals. uh, And it's also not clear whether that decision is going to be allowed to stand because the Supreme Court has already smacked down this particular judge in a previous order in this case. It's a temporary decision. It's, yeah, yeah, and and because it's temporary, and because it would, because the ball is now in the government's court to set up a process for taking renewals, it's not like it's a narrow window if it's any at all. So this time yesterday, there was a, a lot of concern from the very people who had just won the case that Congress was going to say, "Oh, we're off the hook." That's not what they're doing. Even some of the people who you would expect to walk away, who haven't been exactly, you know, champions for legalizing the Dreamers, have said. That decision doesn't change anything. We're still, you know, Democrats are still not going to to vote for to keep the government open unless we have a deal. So we're going to work on a deal. So I I think that that isn't I think it would have been pretty easy for Congress to say, well, we only were going to do this because people were going to lose their work permits. And if they're not going to lose their work permits, then we're fine. But they haven't actually I I think that they have taken enough heat at this point that they want to at least see if they can get to a bill. Right. Yesterday, uh, so the, the meeting a couple of days ago with the legislative leaders, as as you point out, as bizarre and contradictory and wide open and uh, inconclusive maybe as it was, one could say that the president showed a little flexibility, at least he seemed to be willing to uh, – he went. All, he was all over the right. place. Right. I, I, the president but, will sign whatever bill is put in front of him. I, but, I think that So yesterday we actually saw a bill in the House – Uh, Headline in the New York Times is GOP proposal sets a hard line on immigration at odds with the president so that the bill that came out of the some House Republicans yesterday didn't show any flexibility. It's a pretty hard line bill. Yeah, it's it was very interesting because to the extent that anybody felt that progress was made in that meeting Tuesday, it, the White House and Democrats and Republicans all came out with statements saying everybody agrees that there are four things we need to take care of. We need to take care of DACA recipients. We need to do something for border security. We need to do something on the diversity visa lottery. And we need excuse me, to do something to curb chain migration. like Or family Right, yeah. And, yeah. and of course, how... 
all of those things like the wall there's a lot of flexibility right. there but right. you know and those of us who had been watching the negotiations knew that those were the four things that were really on the table anyway yeah. so then the house republicans come out with this bill that tackles about three times that is that does a laundry list of things that are not the four things that everyone just came out of the meeting agreeing were the things they needed yeah. to take care of it looks more than anything similar to a bill that got dropped in the senate among republican members in december that was being proposed as like their counter proposal it sank like a stone none of the people who were engaging in bipartisan negotiations took that as a starting point for anything uh so the house gop apparently decided that that was a good model, except it was too liberal. Mm. Uh, the the House GOP bill doesn't even provide a way for Dreamers to get green cards. Uh, it's just a three-year temporary renewable status, which is interesting because even a lot of immigration, a lot of immigration hardliners outside the government really don't want creations of permanent secondary status because. To, to the extent that they're worried about undercutting wages and jobs, that seems like a liability. Um, but apparently that's what the House GOP decided was their line. Right. So it's not – I think that the timing of that bill release is – I think that the members who are behind it want to make it seem like that is some kind of compromise. It is it, – it's not. There are no meaningful and, concessions in there right. whatsoever. So right. it's, it's a question of can you get enough Republicans – to be willing to swallow a deal that does not include anything, that does not include everything that Republicans have asked for in immigration enforcement. There are members in the Senate and plenty of moderates and swing district members in the House who think that that is not only you know possible but necessary. But to the extent that the Republican Party is not just doing the old Hastert rule, a majority of the majority has to support it, but is keeping is trying to pass a bill that is going to keep even the biggest immigration hawks in Congress on board, which like Tom Cotton, who's mm -hmm. one of the people who wrote the Raise Act, the bill that the president's endorsed that would cut legal immigration in half over 10 years. He keeps being in some of these meetings. You know, the when, if you're trying to get a bill that's going to satisfy Dick Durbin on one hand and Tom Cotton on the other, you're not going to get a bill. Uh, I, I Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. Um Congressman Dan Kildee from Michigan was uh, our, uh, one of our guests on uh, Tuesday. Uh, he said that he believed that if you put a Clean Dreamers Act, as Senator Dianne Feinstein, or as Donald Trump now calls her, sneaky Dianne Feinstein. She wasn't sneaky at that meeting. She sat at the table right across from him and said, Mr. President, this is what I think you should do. Why is that sneaky, right? Um, at any rate. Uh, she's a good friend. She's a great senator, I believe. Um, I was saying th Congressman that Kildee. Uh, Congressman Kildee said, if you put such a clean Dreamers Act bill mm -hmm. in front of the House, it would get over 300 votes today. Do you believe that? Uh, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't really thought about the whip count on that. I know that this is something that got said about comprehensive immigration reform or about like the 2013 bill that the Senate right. passed, that if you actually yeah. just got it to the House floor. And, and and if Paul Ryan would just let everybody, just free everybody to vote the way they wanted to vote, right? Yeah. So I do think that there are a lot of people in Congress who don't have particularly strong commitments on, immig on immigration policy, right? Um, and they understand that this is now a matter of urgency, that 
if they don't do something to protect DACA recipients, they're going to start getting like horror stories of people getting arrested driving to work. Um, But I don't know that. I don't know that the appetite to get something off the table in Congress is strong enough that people would be willing to vote for a bill that didn't have any kind of of border trade off. I also think this is something of a moot point, because not only is there the Hastert rule consideration, but Paul Ryan was essentially elected Speaker of the House on the condition that he not, you know, that he not go too far to the left on immigration for the Freedom Caucus. That was the Freedom Caucus's but, huge concern with him. So I think you... that it's not really the world in which Paul Ryan says, actually, we're yeah. going to do something that legalizes a bunch of immigrants and doesn't have any security attached is the day that Paul Ryan gets, you know, cooed out. Well, but couldn't you make the argument as a Republican that, that the Dreamers are a case a special case in and of themselves in that these are kids who were brought here had nothing to do with the fact that they were brought here illegally in this country. They weren't old enough to know where they were or what their name was or whatever you know, at the time. And they, they we've, we've heard that yeah. we know the case. They've lived here all their lives. It's the only country they know. They speak English. They got jobs. They pay taxes. They serve in the military. They just just recognize them as a special case and deal with that and give them protection. You could make that argument. Republicans have been making that argument for literally 16, 17 years. The first version of the DREAM Act was introduced by Orrin Hatch in 2001. Um, Ironically, the DREAM Act is old enough at this point that if it had, you know, if it had come to the United States at the age of six, it would be able to, it would have been able to apply for DACA (laughs) last year. Um, But it's, it hasn't worked yet, right? Like we've been having this conversation for almost an entire generation at this point. The people who, when Orrin Hatch first dropped that bill, were high school sophomores, are now people who often have kids of their own who are U.S. citizens. Yeah, but they're right. they're now working adults, and it's it's gotten a little bit, you know, the idea of somebody being a fully innocent child, the optics of that, get a, if they've gotten a little more complicated for Republicans over the last several years because you're now talking about adults who are working in the U.S., you know, now with authorization, but. Because yeah. of the, or at least the ones who have DACA, because of the DACA program, but the idea of kind of blamelessness has some somehow shifted. I think to well, now they're grown ups; they should be able to take care of themselves. And so I think I think that's gotten a little more complicated. I also think it's true that a lot of and one one of the things that made Donald Trump a success in the Republican primary is that. After a generation in which Republicans had said, we love legal immigrants, it's the illegal ones we don't like, Trump used language that made it clear that he was also skeptical of legal immigration. I think that it's I think that the actual concerns among much of the Republican base are less about culpability and illegality and the letter of the law than they are about concerns about control. And the idea of having to legalize people just because they're here is a certain offense to that idea of control. And the other argument that I still hear from Republicans and I've heard for 30 years is the only reason that Democrats want to do anything about immigration at all is because we want more Latinos so we have more Democrats and we can win more offices because we'll have, you know. There'll be more registered Democrats. It's it's very— I I mean, Tucker Carlson makes this argument all the time. He made it the other night again on Fox that that's all the whole immigration battle. It's only about getting more Democrats registered to vote. That's all it's all about. The the funny thing is that in the short term, and this is a criticism that's made by both 
uh, Republicans who do want to do something on immigration, like Marco Rubio loves making this argument, and also some activists on the left, is that Democrats actually don't want to do anything on immigration because they want to be able to use it as a political football oh, to motivate yeah, Latinos. That's, so like, that's the other side of it. it, it right. right. In the short term, that actually makes more sense, right? No one's put together an immigration bill in years that would have anybody, that would allow anybody to vote, you know, for, for less than 10 to 15 years after the bill is passed, like that's an extremely long game you're playing. If you're Democrats yeah. and you're being purely cynical about it, it makes much more sense to make sure that you don't do anything so that Latinos go to the ballot box yeah, next year. Exactly. Okay. Um, I have to ask you about the latest uh, effort on the part of the uh, Trump administration. Uh, we saw yesterday, if you happen to show up at a 7-Eleven yesterday, as this woman up, uh, her name is Elena Lopez did up in New York, uh, you might have seen um, some uh, unusual activity at the 7-Eleven. Here's Elena Lopez describing the scene. It's very sad that the Trump administration is using uh, fearful tactics, intimidation tactics, and uh, to get uh, people not to work or to hire anyone. So they swooped in uh, ICE agents into 7-Elevens all across the country. Tell us about it. So I am... A lot. I'm taking a much more wait and see approach to this than I think a lot of uh, a lot of other reporters that I've seen are because we know that physical workplace raids are something that happened less often under the Obama administration, but did on occasion still happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that they don't necessarily lead to even. They don't necessarily lead to anybody getting charged. Sometimes they well, will result in people, people arrested yesterday. There were I, I was here. I have heard fewer than that. But arrests doesn't necessarily mean charges. Um, and there's also a big difference between taking unauthorized immigrant workers and putting them in deportation proceedings and actually filing charges against the employers. And so when the Trump administration comes out and says we're sending a message to the employers that you can't do this. It raises the question, okay, what are you doing? You know, how are you actually ensuring that the people who are facing consequences here are the employers and not just the employees? So I think that you the extent the to which this is a big break. To, you expect the Trump administration to be merciful toward the immigrants or the employers? I'm not, I'm really not sure because here are a couple of things that I think are, are worth noting. For one thing, the 7 Eleven investigation actually got started under Obama. Uh, this is a, a continuation you mean of that. The, the deporter in chief. <laughs> um, it, it is Obama tended to on workplace enforcement do what were called paper raids. They did employment audits, uh, which didn't often result in charges or mm -hmm. even arrests. They just resulted in people getting fired. Um, so they, which isn't to say that they didn't do those other two things. It's just that that was kind of their preferred mo. So they weren't as big on the like going in, not guns blazing, but the kind of knocking yeah, down door tactics. Right. Uh, you know, this is, so it's not it's not like the Trump administration, this was the Trump administration's idea. Uh, the other thing to note is that this administration has a history in its short time of not, of making raids look bigger than they are. In September, they mm. made a big deal out of, we're doing these raids in sanctuary cities. Uh, they put out press releases, you know, they put out a press release in Portland, Oregon, saying, we've arrested 33 people in the sanctuary city of Portland, Oregon. Uh, journalists in Portland kind of looked, like, collated some actual records and figured out that it was 33 arrests in the states of Oregon and Washington. There had only been four arrests in Portland that week, which is, about what ICE would do in a typical week. So it's the administration has a way of 
making things look bigger than they are without necessarily spending the resources on them. And there's there is a strategic argument for doing that, right? Because they don't have kind of mass deportation funding from Congress. If you want to make the biggest impact with the less with the least amount of resources, these kind of making people feel afraid tactics are maybe the best bang for your buck. But I think that it's it's worth taking a skeptical approach and making sure that it's not just the optics that this actually does represent a change in enforcement policy. Well, Donald Trump says everything is bigger and better than it really is. So maybe maybe this is uh, in, in, in line with Donald Trump. In the meantime, uh, I don't know. I'm a little nervous about being able to get my big gulp today without, the, <laughs> yeah, right. without being ca- caught in the crossfire between some ICE agent and, uh, and, and a poor employee of a 7-Eleven. It is the issue of the day, and it's far from being resolved, but uh, you're on top of it. Dara Lynn, thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you. Uh, You can follow Dara and her good colleagues at Vox, of course, at Vox.com. What uh, an unusual, we've seen a lot of them actually so far, but an unusual, another unusual news conference at the White House yesterday. Justin Singh covers the White House for Bloomberg News. He'll tell us all about it coming up next on the Bill Press Show. Stay with us. Show. Hey, you bet it is. On Thursday, January 11, uh, wrap, uh, 11 uh, wrapping up here, uh, the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our studio on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building and about five metro stops away from the White House. We're brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters under President Jim Hoffa, the good men and women of the Teamsters Union. We all live better because of their good work. Uh, in many fields across this country. Check out their website at teamster.org to uh, get up to date. We thank them for their uh, good work and support of the program. Busy day at the White House yesterday. Another one today. Justin Sink, that's his beat for Bloomberg. Bloomberg News joining us in studio. Hello, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Before we get back to the news news conference uh, yesterday with the Prime Minister of Norway, uh, it seems that the um, White House doesn't quite have its act together <laughs> when it comes to FISA legislation that is being um, will be voted on today in the House. So just as a little background, um, the FISA authorities expire. This is a special foreign information and foreign intelligence surveillance surveillance act. act yes, yeah, uh, so under NSA, and it's it's up for renewal. And yesterday, you and I, as White House correspondents, got a uh, a statement, a tweet, or a, 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 a email with Sarah a statement Sanders, yeah. from Sarah Sanders, press secretary, saying this bill is coming up tomorrow in the House, and the administration supports the extension of the FISA Act. And this morning, <laughs> a little different story from Donald Trump on Twitter, uh, <laughs> where he called the the legislation controversial, uh, said that it might have been used to surveil his campaign, which is a sort of unsubstantiated charge that uh, he's been making for months and has never really uh, explained. And, uh, you know, this comes at a critical time. This is legislation that civil liberties at, uh, sort of activists on both sides of the aisle have really uh, raised a lot of questions about because 
as you can remember from the Edward Snowden revelations and the controversy surrounding that, there was there are a lot of questions, legitimate questions about how FISA is used to sort of sweep up not only an incredible amount of communications among people abroad, but when those people touch U.S. citizens or are related oh, to U.S. Yeah, citizens yeah. in some way. And this is one area where myself and a lot of other progressives were really critical of Barack Obama because uh, he allowed this, this surveillance and the snooping to continue. And uh, I remember uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein and others, you know, they said, we'll have some reforms, but we're still going to let NSA kind of do this as long as they get FISA approval. Uh, and now, so Donald Trump is saying... What? Yeah, so so there is this very legitimate policy debate. Yeah, and, and those you know on one side there is those who argue for privacy and civil liberties. On the other, there are those who say this is a critical security tool. This is you know one of the basic debates that goes back to the founding of the republic is was where to draw that line. Donald Trump seems to have somehow staked out both positions, and his concerns are not with. The privacy of American citizens, but his perceived and unproven um, assertion that that his campaign was being wiretapped by the the Obama administration. Now, to give him a small bit of credit, this was NSA wiretaps were the thing that installed Michael Flynn as his national security advisor, who was lying about his contacts well, with the I was Russian sure ambassador because he lied about exactly, them. yeah exactly, yeah. and so. Uh, Trump administration officials have pointed to that as trying to substantiate the president's claim that Trump Tower itself was wiretapped well, in some it, way. But, 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 but it's a completely different. Yeah. What does it say about the Trump White House? If the press secretary says we support this bill and Donald Trump, the president, the next morning says we don't support this bill. What are Republicans in the House supposed to do? Exactly. And to compound the whole thing. It seems very obvious from watching Fox and Friends this morning and looking at the timing of the tweet that the president watched Andrew Napolitano on Fox and Friends talk about how he thought the bill was a bad idea and then shot off this tweet. And for a White House that has spent the last two weeks trying to refute a book that suggests the president sits around and watches TV all day and makes policy based on what he sees on TV – this is devastating. I mean, it directly contradicts what Sarah Sanders put out last night and what we've heard from consistently from Trump administration officials, what they want to see. And it it really endangers a vote that, that a bipartisan people in the national security community have said is a, is a critical tool. Now, if you made a reasoned and sort of carefully thought out argument for why you'd like to get rid of this authority or you'd like to tailor it more, I'd be, you know, I think everybody would understand it and it would be a legitimate policy discussion, but this does not seem to be the process that that, that happened And here. doesn't this sort of uh, confirm uh, a lot of what Michael Wolff is alleging in Fire and Fury? Well, I think, uh, I mean... I don't know if it confirms about a president specific, who's driven certainly by right. Fox News. Yeah, I don't know if it can confirms specific uh, examples that are in the book. But to that point, I mean, I think this is something that we've all observed time and time again. It's something that he reported out in that book, and it's you know it's something that the president has really struggled to to grapple with. I mean, he denies it every time people point out the fact that he seems to be live tweeting television for. 
hours yeah. a day sometimes and and instead says no I, you know, I don't have time for tv i i just read documents and it just it, you can't if you're going to live tweet your day and your day involves watching television at a certain point people are going to start connecting the dots um one of our guests a couple of days ago uh, matt gertz from media matters for america did an uh, outstanding report he went back uh, starting, I think, last September, October or something, and ev- and followed every single tweet that the president had made. Yeah. And then he went back to Fox News and, found... and he got their entire schedule of the shows and, and what the shows were talking about. And you could make the absolute coronation between Fox segment, Donald, five minutes later, 10 minutes later, yep. Donald Trump tweet. Set on the, sub- the day, the hour, the subject. Followed yeah. him. The, the, the parallel. Yeah. And no so, doubt about it. I mean, it raises a lot of interesting questions. One is, of course, sort of about the discipline of the White House. But another is, uh, you know, for a town where we see people spend an incredible amount of money lobbying and um, working to influence lawmakers on a daily basis, both uh, for virtuous causes and for personal gain. Um, I I am surprised there is not more scrutiny of how Fox News programming comes together, who advertising on Fox News, because there are a lot of smart people in this town who are going to start to figure out these trends and and use this as a way to to get in the front door with the Uh, president. uh, Several several people have made the point that whoever the producers are of Fox and Friends, you know, they're kind of running the country right now. Mm -hmm. They certainly have an inordinate influence. Um, That kind of relates, I wasn't going to ask you about this, but it does relate to a story that uh, Jonathan Swan did on uh, Axios early in the week, looking at the president's schedule. Executive Uh, time. Yeah, that if you trust Jonathan's reporting, and I do, that he, there's a lot of it is scheduled as executive time. So he'll come into the Oval Office about 11 o'clock. Before that is executive time, and he leaves maybe 4.35, after a long lunch and a couple of meetings, and that's executive time. And executive time is spent... Well, I think what we know is that the president spends a lot of time working the phones, talking to people... And watching uh, TV. And watching TV. Uh, I, I will... Does, does it matter how much time he spends in the Oval Office? Yeah, I, I think the point that I was yeah. going to make is that... Um, President is twenty four hour a day, seven day a week, three hundred and sixty five day a year. Job. It is, and though we, I think, will note when a president spends a lot of time on a golf course or spends time watching television, inevitably, if a decision comes to their desk that they have to make, it will be put in front of that person. There's no procrastinating right. really as as president. Um, and so you know, I'm not sure that that it totally matters how packed his schedule is with meetings. I think each person and each president sets up their day in a way that is most effective to them. I think that that being said, uh, if I was John Kelly or other senior advisors to the president, you have to ask yourself, you know, is it more productive to have the president have more free time, be on the phone talking to people who he sees as advisors? This is a man who won the presidency on his first try, and maybe there is value in those political instincts. Uh, on the other hand, it creates policy headaches like the one that we've seen this morning. And so you have to take the balance of those. And 
Isn't there also the case that if he is uh, not in the Oval Office, let's say, he's just off on his own in the residence, um, he's sort of like uh, an unguided missile over there, right? I mean, he can call and probably does anybody who wants, say anything he wants, um, say some crazy stuff, right, and tweet some crazy stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing John Kelly has said is that he, when he took the job, kind of said explicitly, I'm not going to try to control Twitter. There's The president sees it as a extremely valuable tool to, to talk to the American people. I sort of know that I'm not going to be able to insert yeah, myself there. Right. And so I'm, you know, has sort of a hear no evil, see no evil approach to it. In fact, over the weekend, um, Jordan Fabian of The Hill Mm-hmm. Kind of went up to John Kelly and said, "Have you seen the president's tweets this morning?" I think it would. Uh, that was the day that he declared himself a, uh, a, a stable genius, a, a very stable genius, who was like very smart. Um, and John Kelly said, "You know, I might be the only person in Washington who doesn't <laughs> doesn't have this guy's tw- Twitter on on alert." Um, and uh, maybe there's value to that approach of just saying. The tweets don't matter. That he's kind of he's mm-hmm. doing his thing. He's entertaining people. He's connecting to people who feel alienated by the system, and we're just going to go about our work. But it, not everybody takes the John Kelly approach to his, his tweets, and certainly not foreign leaders, and certainly not members of Congress. And so right. uh, we'll see today, uh, certainly in the House, how much impact this this. Tweet storm has on on uh, the the White House's legislative goals. Justin Sink with us from Bloomberg News. It's at Bloomberg dot com. So um, yesterday uh, in the East Room of the White House, the President with the Prime Minister of Norway, um, she wanted to talk about the green economy and about uh, uh, how much progress uh, Norway is making, uh, going after renewable energy and all that stuff. Uh, Donald Trump wanted to talk about Robert Mueller and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, maybe he didn't want to talk about it. That's what he was asked about at any rate. Um, would he sit down with Robert Mueller? First of all, his whole take again on the uh, special counsel investigation. We've heard this before, um, but uh, it's nothing but a, a Democratic plot. Here he is. It's a Democrat hoax that was brought up as an excuse for losing an election that, frankly, the Democrats should have won because they have such a tremendous advantage in the Electoral College. So it was brought up for that reason. And then, of course, the follow-up question, would you, uh, are you ready to sit down with the special counsel if he requests uh, a meeting? We'll see what happens. I mean, certainly I'll see what happens. But uh, when they have no collusion and nobody's found any collusion at any level, uh, it seems unlikely that you'd even have an interview. Uh, so, Justin, uh, you're there more often than I, but it seems to me I recall a different approach to a meeting with Mueller on the part of the president not so long ago. Yeah, I think what has changed is, you know, there was some reporting included in The New York Times over the last week that uh, Robert Mueller did want to bring the president in and, and potentially have uh, one of these interviews. And I, I was a little surprised with how indirect President Trump was when answering that question. Yeah, yesterday was, I'll talk to my lawyers. We'll yeah. see what happens. It wasn't 100%. I'll sit down with them anytime, <laughs> yeah. anywhere, or talk about anything. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, certainly uh, 
this is interesting in the context of James Comey is is something that I've always thought, which is James Comey sat before Congress on national televised TV, took an oath and described his interactions with Donald Trump. Now, I don't think anybody expects the president to come up to Capitol Hill and testify no. under oath. But there, you know, there's a question. There's a core question, which is that the White House has accused James Comey of lying, of perjuring himself in that testimony. Uh, th- those accusations become more credible or more worthy of consideration if the president is willing to do the same thing, to put his you know hand on the Bible and say, you know, the way James Comey is describing this is wrong. That is not the sort of attitude or approach that we heard him take yesterday. Do you think it's p- possible or conceivable that Robert Mueller, who is investigating possible collusion and possible obstruction of justice, can conclude that investigation without talking to Donald Trump himself? Well, I... <sighs> Obviously, we don't know the sort of extent of his uh, investigation. I think that there – one possibility is that Robert Mueller determines that what we know – the what we know is the extent of what happened between the Trump campaign, that legally he does not believe that offering um, access to Hillary Clinton's emails or offering um, – intelligence about Hillary Clinton constitutes a donation of any sort. And so there was no, even if it was all true, even if Mm -hmm. it was explicit that there wasn't a crime that was committed, uh, because collusion itself isn't a crime, you'd have to find something there. And so I I guess there is a theoretical universe in which Robert Mueller surprises us all. The scope of his his investigation is smaller than, than we'd expect. I don't I don't think that that is the likely outcome. Um, And legally, if a special counsel requests a meeting or an interview with the president, can the president deny it? He can, uh, but it gets trickier if uh, the special counsel then goes to the grand jury and asks them Mm. – Mm-hmm. To to demand the president come in, and so that's what happened with Bill Clinton. And I was going to say, didn't, and the, didn't the Supreme Court say that Bill Clinton exactly, had to exactly? Yeah. And yeah. so, if they're able to get the grand jury to to demand that the president take questions, then it becomes uh, more complicated. That said, there could be a negotiated situation where he takes questions on paper rather than in a back and forth interview. Um, strangely, yesterday too, maybe not so strangely, in in in, in talking about. In responding to this question about whether or not he'd be willing to meet with Robert Mueller, he um, brings back Hillary Clinton. Gee, (laughs) because the fact that Donald Trump would uh, talk about Hillary Clinton again uh, and about her interview, here's how uh, here's how he, uh, he he referred to it yesterday with Hillary uh, when she met with the uh, FBI over the. uh, the questions about her email. Hillary Clinton had an interview where she wasn't sworn in. She wasn't given the oath. They didn't take notes. They didn't record. And it was done on the 4th of July weekend. Uh, that's perhaps ridiculous. And a lot of people looked upon that as being uh, a very serious breach. 
No, it's kind of strange because Fourth uh, of July weekend or not, the fact is the FBI wanted to talk to her, and she met with the FBI. Well, and whether she's sworn in or not, you can't lie to the FBI, right? I mean, so this was also not a strategic statement to make by the president because what he is saying is. If there's an investigation going on, somebody should be under oath and yeah, somebody yeah, should, right, should be right. with the FBI. <laughs> exactly. <And> so <laughs> if his desire is to get out of this by saying, well, Hillary didn't have to do it, don't don't call Hillary's legal approach ridiculous or unfair. And yeah. so, you know, yeah. it was the other sort of amazing moment yesterday. You can't let yeah. go of Hillary, Kenny. No. And, you know, Kellyanne Conway was on CNN last night um, doing an interview and she... <laughs> And one of her more amazing statements said, you know, nobody at the White House is talking about Hillary Clinton. It's, it's you guys that keep bringing this up. And, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I can't remember the last time somebody asked them proactively a question about Hillary Clinton. No. I know that no. the president brings her up in nearly every speech that he gives Absolutely. and nearly yeah. every press conference that he does. Right, right. It, it just does seem that uh, he almost can't accept the fact that he won. Right. Well, I, I, that is one of the core sort of issues that continues to bubble up in in the way that he governs, which is that he seems to lack confidence in that victory. I think a big part of why he people tell us that he's unwilling to accept that Russia interfered in the election is that he fears that it would undermine the legitimacy of his win. A big reason. You know, that he charged that there were millions of illegal votes, and that's why he didn't win the, the popular vote. And he demanded this electoral commission was concerns over the legitimacy of his win. And it's such a different approach than if he just came and said, listen, guys, more people in the right states voted for me. Yeah. You I'm, can argue I'm, whatever you want, but there was no evidence of tampering at the polls itself. I mean, I'm it. here. I, you've got look, me for the next four years. So let's way, move on. Yeah, like, I mean, look at the difference. I just thought of this between George W. Bush, right? Yeah. Who got there from the Supreme Court? He didn't spend the whole first year relitigating. Relitigating, and obviously September 11th, kind of true. But that was yeah. not until September yeah. too, right? Okay. Um, the president, as the White House has announced, the president is going to the big. Economic summit or whatever they call yeah. it in Davos. This is not the G20. This is not world leaders meeting, right? These are just like the richest businessmen leaders in the world that get together to talk ideas. Well, what's has Donald Trump? What's this all about? Why is the president going? Well, uh, you know, the White House asked this question, said that this is an opportunity for the president to sort of discuss his American first philosophy in front of. They probably all hate him. <laughs> Important businessmen. I I think um, Andrew Andrew Beatty from AFP asked this question, and I thought it was a really smart one in the briefing, which is the extent to which this is motivated by Xi Jinping, the Chinese uh, president's uh, appearance at Davos last year. Oh, it was a went. real coming out party yeah. for, yes. uh, for huh. Xi and for the Chinese especially, uh, huh. asserting yeah. themselves as sort of major right. players on the world stage. And I think that uh, to the extent that that this was a strategic decision, it may be to try to mm. counterbalance and reassert um, American leadership among... Has Trump gone before? You know, I I don't know the answer to that. Uh, a U.S. president has not gone since no. Bill Clinton, um, so it's been a while. But uh, I do know that 
I, I just wonder, as a businessman, you know, like Michael Bloomberg always goes and uh, Jeff Bezos, Bevos, I mean, all the ones that we know of our American business leaders go. But I, I do know some of our favorite uh, characters from the Trump administration are sort of regular fixtures there. So Anthony Scaramucci, always at Davos, always does a you know big kind of party and yeah, oh. a, a conference event and that sort of thing. 